Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. John White, WebMD's Chief Medical Officer and host of the Spotlight On series from WebMD's Health Discovered podcast. For this special two-part episode, you'll hear up-close and personal journeys about being diagnosed with a rare type of cancer, multiple myeloma. I started in myeloma nearly 25 years ago. And at that time, the average expectation of life in someone with myeloma was maybe one to two years. But even just in this last 10 to 12 years, we have doubled, if not tripled, the average survival of patients. I saw a new patient this week, and we had this conversation that based on what we've done over the last decade, my expectation is that patient's going to live more than 10 years. Listen to Health Discovered on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Kenny Albert. You're listening to the Broadway Hat Podcast with your host, Kyle Hall, the number one podcast for all things Rangers hockey. Welcome back to the Broadway Hat Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Hall, and what a win tonight at Madison Square Garden for the New York Rangers. Well, you're listening to this Tuesday morning, but I am recording live right after the Rangers' big overtime win against the NHL leading New Jersey Devils, a win that the Rangers needed so badly now on a four-game win streak. Is this it? Are the Rangers finally turning around this season? I mean, they've looked, they played very well uh, out in Vegas. Vegas was banged up, take advantage of that team. They played Colorado, again, a banged-up Colorado team on the road, but get a a big uh, shootout W over uh, our old friend Alexander Gorgiev. And then tonight, they get the win against the Devils and that couple with Monday night's win last week against the St. Louis Blues, a four-game winning streak, the longest of the season this year for the New York Rangers. And after all those struggles in November and the up-and-down October, have the New York Rangers finally figured it out. This team that last year really gelled together, came together, had that great run. Is this team finally gelling together now? Are they finally ready to go? I like what Galant's doing with the Lions. I like the Trocheck kreider VC line. I like... Well, they separated them tonight, but the kid line was back tonight and was electric again. I mean, it doesn't matter. Those kids, whenever they get together, they're they're great. But I liked having Zabanjad and um, Lafreniere and Kako up on that first line. Hedl has played, looked really good with Panarin. Um, and Hedl and Panarin connected tonight in OT there for the game winner. Keandre Miller has been playing really well. He had a shaky you know, start to the game, but... A lot of that was because Truba had a couple bad plays there to set the game off and got demoted down to the, the third pairing. But I think Braden Schneider's playing unbelievable. Scoring the puck, uh, hitting guys, really doing what Truba should be doing. Uh, but Keandre Miller has been really good recently. This team starting, and Igor has been fantastic. Uh, keeping him in games. He sold the game out in Colorado. Played, he played great out in Colorado. Um, but this is it. This is where the Rangers have to turn it around. And get it going now. When you look at the standings, now the Rangers are the first team of the wild card. And in the conference stand, and then, sorry, the division standings, they're now just three points behind Pittsburgh for second place and one point behind Carolina for third place. And they've jumped the Islanders in the standings. So after all this bad start and everything else, the Rangers are right there. And, you know, I saw all this stuff come out about the Patrick Kane trade rumors and everything else. And I think it was, it was a Friedman was saying, 
you know, the Rangers have to really start winning games to turn it around if they want to be contenders. The Rangers are right there. I don't know why everyone's giving the Rangers a hard time. They're right there. If anything, it shows that this team's right there. They need the next step. It, it, it's even more reason for the Rangers to go out and get Patrick Kane, get something they need. So I never I did not understand that, but um, I think it was Elliot Freeman who said it, which was very strange to hear that. But the Rangers, I mean, this is it. This is the time to turn the season around. It's a tough week coming up, but it they look good. They look good. This is the hope. This is the hope the Rangers give you, and you just got to climb onto it and grab it. And you, know, you got Toronto coming up at MSG, and then you're at Philly, who's been struggling, and you're at Chicago on Sunday, who's been struggling. Then you're back on the road in Pittsburgh, who's been playing very, very well. And then you're back at home for the Islanders for Christmas. So couldn't you win three of those five games before Christmas? Yeah, I think so. I think Toronto's been red hot. But you get Toronto at MSG, you're hot. That should be a great game. Philly's been struggling. You know, I hate to say it, but, you know, maybe put that as a win. Chicago on the road. Now, this is a back-to-back on a Saturday, Sunday, both on the road. So that's tough, but, you know. But that as a win, and you got to beat Pittsburgh on the road or the Islanders at home. You got to win one of those home games against Toronto and in the Islanders, and you get you go three and two in that stretch, and then you kind of have the Christmas break, reset yourself. But if the Rangers take some momentum to this Christmas break, it, that'd be huge for the season, huge for the season, huge for the fan base. I think a lot of Ranger fans, when they had that Edmonton loss and the Island, the Devils loss. Right after Thanksgiving, there was a, that was a low point in the Rangers fan base. There's a lot of fans jumping ship. It's funny to see them all back on the Rangers Twitter and everything else now. Uh, everyone was saying the season was over, especially after that uh, Chicago beatdown. And listen, that was embarrassing. But since they got their butt kicked against Chicago, this team has gotten themselves back in gear. They, and again, clutch play from Panarin. He's been on fire. Adam Fox has been fantastic. You know, Chris Kreider is now to I think 14 goals on the season, so his scoring is back. They, they have the pieces. They just have to put it all together now. And it's, it's exciting hockey to watch now for the Rangers. Well, not so exciting for the Colorado game. It was close. It was exciting because Keenan's on the wire there. But, you know, this Devils game tonight was was great. Great. The whole, I mean, the whole season, if you look back on this game, this, this game is a turning point of the season for them. The save by Igor on Hughes on the penalty shot could be the whole turning point this year. That could be it. Him saving that three to one game, he saves the penalty shot, saves it from a four to one game. Rangers get a power play, come down, score. Kid line comes out, scores seven seconds later, tie game, boom. Garden erupts, all the momentum's on the Rangers side. Game goes into OT in the you know third period. No one does anything, goes to OT, and then Panarin and uh, sets up Heedle for the game winning goal there. And Shesterkin made some great saves along the way to keep them in it and keep you know keep the game tied. But that save there, 4-1 to one, halfway through the second period. Devils controlling play. Uh, the Rangers might not come back there, and that could be it. That could have been it for them. But instead, they get the win. Momentum's now building more and more. You know, back-to-back OT and shootout wins for the Rangers. Four straight games. You're right back in the you're in the playoffs right now the season and today, but you're right back in the division race. It, it's a lot to be excited about right now for the Rangers. A lot to be excited about. And it's really great to see some of the guys who you've been waiting to see break out start to break out, like Keandre Miller finally starting to get his season going. You know, Vincent Trocek finally 
hitting the net into the post. You know, I think the guy's hit the most posts in the hockey. Now he's starting to score some goals. You know, Kreider's got his goal scoring back after, you know, a little up and down start for him. So his team, the team's starting to get rolling now. They just have to build on this. Like I said, I think Thursday night's game against Toronto. That's going to be very exciting. Toronto's an extremely good team. Um, the Rangers, you know, right now have a lot of momentum. So seeing Igor going against that offense should be exciting to see. And then uh, you go into Philly and Chicago on the weekend. You got to get the wins there because you have two division rivals coming up next week. And uh, I tell you what, that Pittsburgh game is going to be fun in Pittsburgh following last year's playoffs and everything with Igor. So uh, that'll be fun to watch there. But uh, talk about goaltenders. We have a great guest this week. Uh, he had two excellent stints with the Rangers down in Hartford. Uh, played nine pro seasons, and he's an absolute legend at Harvard University. One of the greatest goaltenders ever to play at that unbelievable school. Uh, Dove Grummet Morris, uh, great guy, great guy, great interview. Uh, it was very cool to get to know him and hear his whole hockey story. Playing overseas, playing here in North America. Like I said, two stints with the Rangers, which were very successful stints. Uh, led Hartford to the playoffs uh, when he was there in 2010. Actually overtook the starting job. Uh, from Cam Talbot while he was there, too. So, uh, very cool stories. But before we send our interview with Dove, I do want to tell you about our sponsors over at DraftKings Sportsbook. Hockey fans, light the lamp this winter at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. New customers can bet just $5 pregame money line on any NHL team to win, and they get $150 in free bets if they do. If that wasn't enough excitement, you can turn small bets into bigger payouts with same-game parlays. Combine multiple bets, like like which team will win, how many goals they'll be scored, for even more of a shot at a bigger payout. So go and download DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code BROADWAY and bet $5 on any NHL team to win their game and win $150 in free bets if they do, only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code BROADWAY. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. Please see show notes for details. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, please call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or if you live in New York, please call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369. We are now joined by former New York Rangers goaltender. Uh, It's great to get on the show. Harvard legend, Dove Grubick Morris, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. Uh, so first off, growing up in Chicago, I got to ask, what was your favorite team and player growing up? Yeah, so from a hockey perspective, I loved uh, Ed Belfour. Um, and I really enjoyed also watching Chris Chelios, Jeremy Roenick, Steve Larmer. My first ever uh, hockey game that I uh, that I went to, the pro NHL game, was actually the Denny Savard Spinorama game. Nice. Good game to go to. And so I actually remember that I had the, my dad was able to get some pretty decent uh, seats and um, he was obviously an amazing player, but was traded um, shortly thereafter, mm-hmm. um, I believe for Chris Chelios to the Montreal Canadiens, actually. Um, so growing up, I was a big Hawks fan. They had great teams. They went to the finals in the early 90s um, and I believe they lost to Pittsburgh. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. John White, WebMD's Chief Medical Officer and host of the Spotlight On series from WebMD's Health Discovered podcast. For this special two-part episode, you'll hear up-close and personal journeys about being diagnosed with a rare type of cancer. 
multiple myeloma. He looked at me. I have been his patient for more than 20 years. And he said, this is really strange. You're an African-American, age 57. I've never seen this before. This back pain that you're continually having with no signs of osteoporosis. No signs, exactly. And I didn't have any signs of osteoporosis in my family history. Listen to Health Discovered on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Iowans, you have dozens of betting options. Try a sports book built by bettors and run by bettors. Fred Doan started BetFred over 50 years ago with funds from a winning bet, and he's been known for delivering the best betting experience ever since. Visit BetFredSports.com to give us a try. New customers betting $50 get 111 in Fred bets and up to 200 Fred bets per week for five weeks. Terms apply. Proud partner of the Iowa Cubs and Iowa Wild. Must be 21 plus. Wagers only accepted in Iowa. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-BETS-OFF. And um, I, I really appreciated uh, um, how good those teams teams were. But um, also, I was a pretty big uh, Chicago Cubs fan growing up. And I remember um, my, my two kind of favorite guys were Andre Dawson, who's an outfielder who actually mm-hmm. ironically also played for Montreal at one point, um, and Sean Dunstan, who was the shortstop, longtime shortstop for Chicago Cubs. So Sure. Two big names. Those are two big names. Yeah. yeah uh, so yeah, was your absolutely. first... Was your first game at Chicago Stadium? Was that still the old arena there? That's right. And I remember yeah. asking my father why it is that everyone was standing and making so much noise <laughs> during the anthem. I was I was obviously a very young kid. And he said, because that's the tradition here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I love asking us the goalies. How did you become a goalie? I feel like everyone's got a different background story. Yeah, I'm, I'm not too familiar with uh, how other goaltenders um, were uh, were called to the position, as they say. But for myself, um, I remember I thought the equipment looked really cool. And uh, when I first started playing on a team, just house league, right, local um, hockey, and we had just the one practice where all the kids are on the ice and, you know, we're not that good. And they asked, um, okay, who, who would like to be the goalie for the first game? Because the idea is you rotate. Each kid gets an opportunity, 10 kids on the team, 10 games. And then we kind of go from there. My father was one of the assistant coaches or one of the coaches. And uh, one of the other dads asked, I put my hand up and I said, oh, me, me, me. And my father says, don't put your hand down. You're not going to be a goalie. I put my hand up. Oh, me, 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 me. No one else put their hand up for the first week. So they let me be the goalie. And I can actually remember putting on the pads for the first time. I literally remember uh, my father helping me with that. We went out. I was fantastic. We probably won the game <laughs> nine to eight. I had two saves, but we won. And honestly, I was hooked. No one else wanted to be goalie that year. So they let me do it for the rest of the year. And I loved it. I thought that I really had an opportunity to be, I didn't think of it at the time, but I really enjoyed the athleticism. That is to say, you're kind of diving around as a little kid. Um, but I got to kind of just do what it is that felt naturally to me. And I really, really enjoyed it. And then the next year, was um, I actually have an older sister uh, who's two years older than me. She went on, she was an excellent hockey player. She played uh, boys hockey all the way up, actually went on to become the captain on the women's team at Princeton. But at the time, um, her team uh, was two years above me, but they didn't have a goalie. And so here's this little kid who's the little brother of one of the girls on the team. And my father said, well, it'll be easier. 
if we only have to make one car ride to the rink for games <laughs> instead of two. And so they let me be the goalie and I played up and I was maybe good, maybe bad. It doesn't really matter. I have no idea, but I just really enjoyed the game and I really enjoyed the position. And honestly, I, w- I was never, ever a, a skater except for that first practice of my entire career. That's awesome. Yeah, no, I, I feel like it's always like a different story. That's great because I've heard guys, you know, he was the youngest of three that got thrown into the net because basically they needed yeah. someone to say a net or, you know, a team, either, you know, they didn't want to leave the ice. So they ended up being a goalie, so you had to leave the ice or, you know, basically they couldn't skate. So it was either goalie or nothing. They did, you've heard all different stuff. So that's awesome. That's a cool, that's a cool background. And uh, you end up, you know, parlaying that young goaltending into a scholar, a college scholar in hockey uh, going to Harvard. I mean, one of the obviously, best universities and schools in the world. Um, so I guess how did that commitment happen and what was like the road to that? Yeah. So I, like you said, grew up playing hockey in Chicago and I was playing AAA and then I went on to play juniors in the Midwest. And at that time, recruitment was still at a regional level. So for example, Michigan, Michigan state, Ohio state, Miami of Ohio um, and the Minnesota teams uh, along with some of the WCAJA teams, which I know is different now, but at the time it was North Dakota, Colorado College, et cetera. They did a lot of the recruiting in the Midwest and the teams from the East Coast did a little bit less. They still did some, but they did a little bit less because it's expensive and difficult. But uh, one of the exceptions was not just Harvard, but also a little bit more broadly the Ivy League, because if you think about it, um there's kind of a minimum threshold to be able to be a division one hockey player. And that is you need to be able to compete at that level. So you have to have the skill set, and it is a high level. So that's requirement. Number one and requirement. Number two is that you're able to um, become eligible for the NCAA. So you can gain admission to the university and then stay eligible. So those are kind of the two um, requisite pieces. However, um, for schools, say in the top third uh, of the 62 some odd schools that have Division One programs, their um, admissions um, are a little bit more difficult. So their requirements are higher academically. And what does that mean? That means that the, the pool of applicants, potential applicants for the hockey teams shrinks. Yeah. And it means that they have to be aggressive and they have to think um, a little bit outside the box as it relates to finding the right players for their programs. And as such, the the hockey team, um, which actually had three uh, Midwestern coaches um, from Michigan, Ohio, and Wisconsin, did a lot of recruiting in the Midwest. So they came out to watch me play. Um, I was a pretty good student and I thought it would be a great place to go um, both from an academic, from a social, and from an athletic perspective. Harvard's a very good hockey team, and they were at the time, and they were when we were there. Um, Also, perhaps I was a bit biased because my older sister was at the time a sophomore at Princeton, so at least that part of the world had opened up to me. Remember, I'm a boy from the Midwest, so Mm -hmm. going to school out east was never on my mind. But having said that, the opportunity arose. I had some other, other chances to go to a couple other places, but this seemed like the right fit for me. And then like anything in life, it's kind of the crossroads between um, ability, work ethic, opportunity, right place, right time, being on the right platform. And they all have to intersect. And for me, that happened at Harvard where they had a graduating senior goalie when I came in as a freshman. So that meant that there was an opening in from the starters position 
There was a sophomore there who was a very good goalie, man by the name of Will Carruthers, but hadn't had any playing time. <clears throat> and so the position was wide open. And that also appealed to me because, of course, you kind of have that foreknowledge going mm-hmm. in. And the coaching staff really did believe in me. They thought that um, I had the ability to be special. And even when I had bad games, and trust me, I had plenty of those in my <laughs> career, in particular at Harvard. And as a freshman, you're really going through your process, both academically and socially, but also as a hockey player and even more so as a goalie, a lot of ups and downs. But they always believed in me and they always told me that, which I thought was important. That messaging was always there. And so it kind of all came together from the recruitment, from the need, from the location. Um, and for me, academics was important. I wasn't going to just drop that. That wasn't going to be something that got put to the side. So I honestly got very lucky for it all come together like that, because there's so many variables that I just described that I don't control. And it's tough sometimes as an athlete to acknowledge that there's luck involved and it's tough (laughs) to give up autonomy. We like to think of ourselves as autonomous creatures, but really oftentimes we're at the mercy of the team or the fans or the ref, or in this case, other things that kind of go off in the universe that um, put things in motion. I mean, it worked out well for you and for Harvard. I mean, you had a pretty good run there. You know, it, there's a lot of, you can say there's luck involved, but they had a pretty good recruit in you. Uh, your first year there, I mean, you go on to win the ECAC championship, uh, double O time, you know, thriller. Uh, I mean, talk about that first season, that winning that championship game had you so special. Yeah. So a little bit of background on that. You're absolutely right. Leading up to the playoffs that year, we actually were in a bit of a tailspin. So at the beginning of the year, we were trying to figure things out. We had a lot of freshmen and sophomores that were starting. We actually had the most um, number, the highest number of NHL draft picks out of any college team in NCAA when I was there. Now, what does that mean? It means they're, reta- they're, they're recruiting talent. It doesn't mean that you have all NHL players, clearly. But we were a pretty highly touted team. We were good, but we were very young. Almost everyone was 18 and 19 who was playing. And... <clears throat> excuse me and um we had a little bit of a start and stop beginning to the season in terms of win loss win loss and then we went on a nice little run and then we kind of hit the skids at beanpot which is a major tournament in Mm -hmm. the listeners in um, february for all four of the division one boston teams and we really couldn't get out of that tailspin it was pretty tough and even going into the last weekend of the season before the playoffs we played our rivals uh, Yale and also Princeton and we lost uh, both games it's pretty tough <clears throat> and then going into the playoffs we kind of had everything going against us in terms of momentum and certainly we didn't feel great about ourselves but it's almost like stripping everything down to the most basics not just from a technical and tactical perspective but also kind of teammate to teammates like look we, we just we weren't doing well and we can do better than that we are a really good team and we've seen rock bottom and we know we can beat this team brown that's who we played actually Jan Dani, um mm-hmm. who i think actually has spent some time in hartford yep so yanni was on the other team he was a great he was an all-american goaltender at brown i know you what your viewers know from playing in the nhl 
Iowans, you have dozens of betting options. Try a sports book built by bettors and run by bettors. Fred Doan started BetFred over 50 years ago with funds from a winning bet, and he's been known for delivering the best betting experience ever since. Visit BetFredSports.com to give us a try. New customers betting $50 get 111 in Fred bets and up to 200 Fred bets per week for five weeks. Terms apply. Proud partner of the Iowa Cubs and Iowa Wild. Must be 21 plus. Wagers only accepted in Iowa. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. John White, WebMD's Chief Medical Officer and host of the Spotlight On series from WebMD's Health Discovered podcast. For this special two-part episode, you'll hear up-close and personal journeys about being diagnosed with a rare type of cancer, multiple myeloma. I started in myeloma nearly 25 years ago. And at that time, the average expectation of life in someone with myeloma was maybe one to two years. But even just in this last 10 to 12 years, we have doubled, if not tripled, the average survival of patients. I saw a new patient this week, and we had this conversation that based on what we've done over the last decade, my expectation is that patient's going to live more than 10 years. Listen to Health Discovered on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. playing in New Jersey, um, Montreal, some of the different teams. But Yanni was really good. We felt that we could beat them. And um, ironically enough, we two-game series for that first round. And we ended up defeating them in game one. And then in game two, we actually went to double overtime. And Dominic Moore, my teammate and longtime New York Ranger, Mm -hmm. actually scored the game-winning goal by going all the way around the net two and a half times because – he couldn't find a spot to shoot and he finally found his body one and we went to the quarterfinals we won the next game uh, sorry in the um the semis we played Clarkson we won the next game in overtime and then we went on to the championship game and we beat David Lenevy's team mm-hmm. another Hartford uh player in the championship in double overtime and it was kind of a magical run we went on to lose in the NCAAs to Maine in overtime so I guess we kind of um we ended up running out of a little bit of that magic, but um, actually to a buddy of mine, Mike Morrison, who was the goalie in the other team, played with Ottawa and Edmonton for a bit, but um, it was a really an amazing, amazing experience. And it kind of set the tone for my class and for our university because we hadn't won the championship a little bit in, in quite a bit since really since like the mid nineties, unfortunately. And it kind of brought the program back to a little bit of prominence. Of course, I'm not saying they're the same as some of the top programs, but regionally to some prominence certainly within the ivy leagues and we ended up going to the championship game at all four years actually mm-hmm. in college so which is pretty special but that that run was unique and i do remember it very fondly and have some great memories um of the guys and different different people who got an opportunity to shine that maybe don't always get that and maybe never had it again in their career so definitely a special run thank you guys and you reach the ncaa tournament every year you're there too which is impressive yeah. in that fact too so I mean, you guys kept it up your entire four years, but your freshman year, I mean, it ended on an even higher note. The NHL draft comes up right after that, and you get drafted in the in the fifth round by the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, walk me through that draft day process for you. Yeah, so uh, actually a buddy of mine, um, my roommate and teammate, Rob Flynn, uh, actually a former New York Ranger draft pick, he never ended up signing, but he and I um, we went up to Toronto and we stayed with another uh, teammate of ours, Andrew Letterman, and 
stayed at his house. It was a wonderful experience. Got to ex- experience Toronto really for the first time. I went up as a boy, but just played tournaments. So I got a chance to go out. Um, we connected with Don Moore, who lives there. And he was um, he was on the team, obviously, as well. Actually, he was our um, captain. And um, so spent a couple days in Toronto. Um, the draft was at the ACC, uh, which is now, I think, Scotiabank, but um, in Toronto. And it was, it was wonderful. And I remember... <laughs> I just kind of sitting there in the stands because you don't really know. I mean, I wasn't a super high draft pick. I wasn't a super low draft pick. I'm just kind of one of those guys who's there. <laughs> and uh, I heard my name. And I was like, ah, I, I almost missed it. And I go down to the tunnel or sorry, go down the steps and they bring me into the meet the guys at the table. And then, um, you know, that's a quick little handshake because actually they're still doing work. They've got more rounds t- to go. And back at that time, there were nine rounds, but um so they're at about the halfway mark. And then I go through the process uh, of like underneath the tunnel where they're taking pictures and, um, and doing all kinds of stuff. I think they, I think that they use it to make cards actually. Um, but I'm not pick cards. Sure. Yeah. 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 I have no idea where that stuff ever goes, but um, <laughs> allegedly that's what it is. And, um, and then uh, actually this was a shock to me. I didn't know this was going to happen, but um Philly had me meet with a sports psychologist at that time. And I kind of sat down and just had a one-on-one. It wasn't anything intense. It was just kind of a get to know you um, intro meeting. And um, then um, they bring you up. Each team kind of has a little area, whether it's a suite or a box. I don't, I don't know what it depends on the situation, but you get to meet the coaches um, and get to meet um, uh, at the time, the GM and the assistant GM and the head of a player development were actually down obviously at the table. So they came up after the day and kind of mingled and it was, it was pretty cool. It was, it was a very surreal experience that um, was one of many uh, memories, but um, a very special one. No, I mean, it has to be incredible. And uh, I've heard so many cool stories of guys who are late draft picks that, they're sitting in the stands and they're like not paying, like he's like not really paying attention all of a sudden, like their name, like comes down to like, they like going to like full panic mode. Like, what do I do now? They're like, <laughs> do, I, do I bum rush the stage? Do I just stand up and wave? Like where, where do I go from here? But uh, no, that's awesome. queen of England. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. The little parade wave. Yeah. Uh, I want to jump to your senior year. Um, One of the best senior years, one of the best years in Harvard history. Um, Again, I mean, your list of, I can go on a list here of what your friend, your Harvard records are most games as a goalie, most saves in school history, second, most wins, most shutouts, best uh, save percentage. I mean, you got it all. The whole list is there. <laughs> um, but that senior year though, one, six, three goals allowed second, the NCAA nine, four, seven save percentage, which was tied for first. I mean, did you, was the puck a beach ball? Like what, what was going through your mind that year that you were just a brick wall? So there was a, a couple of things that happened in the lead up to that season that I think were just tweaks for lack of a better term, but were enough to take something from good to, I wouldn't say great, but the most efficient that it can possibly be. Um, that summer, uh, I spent a ton of time on the ice. Because remember in college, you play fewer games. Mm-hmm. And also in the Ivy League, you play even fewer than in regular college, just because of the academic restrictions that they put on the athletes. So um, unlike in pro hockey, you're able to do a little bit more in the summers. So I skated quite a bit. Paul Vincent, um, who's a longtime 
skating instructor. He actually, um, I worked with him in pro um, when he was a skating instructor and a consultant for the Florida Panthers when I was down there. Um, so he had a summer skate for pro guys <clears throat> down in Pingree, Mass, which is about an hour south of Boston. And um, he had just fantastic shooters there, NHL guys. Um, a couple times, Ricky DiPietro came out as an example. I remember, got to think of the context of 2004, 2005. So yeah, he, was Ricky big. Was, yeah. he was big and it was before uh, he unfortunately had all those knee injuries, yeah. which really obviously derailed him. And that's a whole nother story, but it was just excellent shooters. And I was able to work on my game. I was able to get confidence, uh, more confidence. Um, and, uh, and ultimately, um, that season uh, really started off well. But one other thing happened before, which was um, we got a new head coach. And that was Ted Donato, former New York mm-hmm. Ranger, Boston yeah. Bruin, a legend. And Teddy came on. He brought a little bit more of a pro-style approach to the game, which I think actually played into the strengths of our defense core as well as our forwards. He instilled a little bit of a different jump in our step, maybe a little bit more fun because it's fresh and new. So those two factors, I think, were the biggest tweaks that happened. Um, and then, yeah, that year, I think my trade craft was just very, very good. And I worked on it over time. And it was kind of think of, you know, seven different dimensions, if you will, for goaltending that you need to um, excel at in order to be at an elite level. And at different times throughout the three years, I would have one, two, three, four, maybe going, particularly like the playoffs when we always had successful playoff runs. But that year I was able to kind of excel at all, like all of the dimensions. And that is what allows you to elevate your game. And then obviously as a major complement to that, the defense core was extremely competent, extremely capable. And those two in combination really can have a positive effect on your overall performance. And then I also have to uh, congratulate you. You were inducted into the uh, Harvard varsity club uh, hall of fame. And I know it was a, a COVID. I was reading the article about it, the COVID yeah. it was 2020 and COVID kind of knocked you back. Yeah. So that was just this last uh, October. So uh, congratulations <laughs> on that. That had to be quite the, uh, quite the phone call and quite the, uh, you know, to get that the honor to be awarded that. Yeah, it was pretty special. And I think, so I got a chance to see some of my old buddies. Actually, most of the guys in my uh, class were able to come back. Um, A lot of them are are still living there. So we kind of made it a little bit of a reunion. One of my other teammates and my roommate, Noah Welch, also uh, was inducted with me. Um, And it was pretty special. But, you know, from the perspective of other than, personal gratification of seeing my buddies and <clears throat> obviously you know the Troy Aikman commercial for Budweiser I dwell on the past right like I got a chance <laughs> to dwell on the past for a night I mean, this is many years ago now that all these all these things happened but uh I was very appreciative of the fact that my folks were able to come out and they were able to kind of sit and see obviously their sacrifices over the years it goes without saying that made it possible they enabled me to be there so they got a little sense of what they gave up and obviously it meant a lot to me which is why they did it but also it had a positive impact on the community on the university and on others so i think that that is a nice little uh return on their investment if you will i would think so. um and secondly <laughs> yeah yeah and secondly um i have two little girls um ages eight and ten 
so clearly they didn't they didn't they weren't in existence when I was in college <laughs> and honestly they don't even really remember me playing professionally because they were in diapers you know, when when I when I finished and um <clears throat> they got a chance to come with me and see a little bit of what I did in college a little see me they just know me as dad they don't know me as a hockey player or as a goaltender or as a teammate so they got a chance to see that and I took them on a tour of the campus and I took them to meet with, you know, a couple of the professors, just, it's a novelty. They don't really understand that much of it. They're very young, but I think they got a chance to see what, you know, where daddy went to school um, and where he spent a lot of his time. So I was really appreciative of that because it was ability for, it provided me an avenue to share something that's very special to me, something very personal with my daughters and really those two things, there's no intersection between my prior life and then my, my life with, as, as a father with my kids, but I was able to kind of overlap the two. So it was, it was pretty special. Did you ask Harvard for the highlight tapes? You can throw it on the TV in the house every once in a while just to uh, keep them, <laughs> keep the memory going for them. Let them know. Remember I used to be this good. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, I think they'd probably call me a dinosaur. They're like, what's all that old equipment? Dad? <laughs> um, so, yeah, so you wrap up your college career, and so you were with, obviously, drafted by the Flyers we talked about. And so you never signed with Philly, correct? Right. Yeah, that's right. So actually, uh, sidebar, my um, kind of POC, point of contact, um, player development guy was Ron Hextall. Oh, okay, nice. And he's just a super nice guy, obviously um, has had a phenomenal playing career, and then um, has been a phenomenal executive, and if I memory serves me correctly is the uh, current general manager for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Mm -hmm. But he obviously had a reputation (laughs) for being a hothead as a player. Um, And that was obviously just from the outside looking in, right? That's from the fans looking in that, you know, they have no visibility into the team or the dynamics. But I remember watching him play it when I was a boy. I was like, ah, this guy's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) And he couldn't have been nicer. He was such a nice guy so kind, um, soft-spoken, um, and highly competent, obviously meant a lot that they put me, um, paired with him. And we didn't have a tremendous amount of interaction because like I said, I never ended up signing with them. He ironically enough also left. Um, and he ended up going to Los Angeles, I think at the time. So maybe a blessing in disguise, cause I would have lost the you know, combined point, point of contact, but I didn't end up signing with them. So, um, long story long, they, they being Philadelphia ended up drafting a whole bunch of goalies in, in succession. Um, and I think I, they had like three or four goalies coming out at the same time. Uh, Bern Bruckler, who went on to have a great career actually in Europe, uh, was a phenomenal goaltender at the university of Wisconsin, Madison. And he and I kind of came out at the same time along with another guy. Um, they just really wasn't space for all of us um, at the time. Antero Nidamaki, I think it was, was playing in the minors and um, they had Robert Ash up top. So it was a little bit of a log jam. So, you know, this is just the story of hockey. There's just no mm-hmm. spot for you. And as I said before, maybe I was a good college player, but there are a lot of good players out there and there's a lot of competition. So I ended up signing with at the time Phoenix, now Arizona Coyotes. And I kind of took a bit of a meandering um, course from there because I was like a, I was like a lost toy. Right. Um <laughs> For younger guys, they really need that entry-level contract. They need a, a place to start. They need to be fostered. It's not the only way to be successful, but it certainly goes a long way, especially for goaltenders. Um, 
And I just didn't start my career with that. And that's the way it goes, right? It's still a privilege to play pro hockey, but um, sometimes that happens. Yeah, so you played most of the year in Laredo in the CHL, which is now the East Coast Hockey League. And you had a great first year. I mean, you set a franchise record for goals allowed, two, 2.03 goals allowed. So you carry that senior year over with you. Uh, but what was the biggest change for you going from college to pro uh, just from the goalie perspective? So from the goalie perspective, I think there were major differences were both a positive and a negative. The major difference that I found was that we played more often. And what that meant is less practice, which is good on the body. And it's also good when you're playing well because you can get on a roll. But it can be difficult, and this is that's the blessing element of it. And the challenge part of it, or the curse, is that when you're not playing well, you got to keep going out there, and you don't have an opportunity to take a couple days in practice to work on your game. And that was a big difference that I had to uh, like kind of adapt my game to. And I say my game, and what I really mean is the mental part of the game, which is paramount as a goaltender. So I would say that's a pretty major part of it. Um, I was always um, in uh, good hockey shape and good goaltending shape. I always was committed. So that wasn't necessarily a change, although there is a change in training and a change in diet and nutrition and sleep because you're just playing so much more and you're doing so much more traveling. And that was uh, an adaptation, but um, it was, it was, it was a phenomenal season, challenging at times, very rewarding at times. And um, we ultimately won the league championship that year, which was just a wonderful experience for me to go through that as a pro and, I understand that not a lot of guys, whatever the level is, they don't they don't have that opportunity to be part of a long, deep playoff run because you know essentially that's the most important part of it. Um, so it was pretty awesome. And then, uh, yes, you probably had the second season. You you play with four different teams, which is tough for anybody, but for a goalie, I mean, I feel like you're lugging these pads around all over, all over. I mean, you ended up in Portland, Hamilton. Manitoba, and you played mostly in Cincinnati, yeah, starting in Cincinnati. Um, I mean, you are all over the map. Uh, I guess how tough is that going from playing for four different teams, four different locker rooms, and kind of like, hey, I'm the new goalie here. How are you? Yeah, it's tough. Um, so there's a couple things to be said on that. So at a kind of personal level, what I mentioned before, I made that reference to an entry-level contract. So when you have that, even if you're in the East Coast League, you have an up and down, you're known, you're a known commodity. And you know the place that you're going to go up to. So, for example, you start the year in the East Coast League at the time. Um, Greenville was the affiliate for Hartford, Hartford, the affiliate for the New York Rangers. Mm -hmm. uh, so East Coast League, AHL, NHL. And even if you're in the ECHL, you know when a guy gets hurt in the NHL or the American League, you know that's the ladder. You're going up. That's where you'll be. You know the coaches. You know the ring, so on and so forth. And that means a lot to you. And that makes it usually a little easier to transition. So, as I mentioned before, I used the term a lost toy. And that's kind of what I was. Um, I had a good year in Cincinnati. I really enjoyed the coaching staff there. We had a really good program. Actually, we got great fans. We were getting like five, six, seven, eight thousand 8,000 fans a night. It was a lot of fun. Highly competent team. But you just, you were always looking for some opening. Someone got hurt somewhere and they needed a goalie and you wanted an opportunity to prove yourself because as a player and in particular as a goalie, but any player will tell you what you really want is you want the chance to prove that you're able to be there. Mm -hmm. 
And when you don't have the NHL contract and you don't have that, you know, vertical structure that I described before, you are, it's just a hope and a prayer. And you go where you're needed in order to prove yourself, knowing that you probably will end up, even though you play well, you'll get released and you'll have to go to another team and you'll have to prove yourself all over again. And that brings me to the second major point, which is it's really hard. And some guys, some guys can't do it. It's just too difficult. And it's really, and and that is to constantly prove yourself. So you go to a team, you post a couple shutouts, you do really well. And then, as I said before, you get cut, you go to another team and they don't know you. You are not a known commodity. Everything you did, the currency that you had in the locker room, the currency that you had as an, as an athlete, uh, your work ethic, your ability, your attention to detail, your professionalism, it's as if it never happened. And you're starting at zero again. So you're doing that every single place that you go. Now, what does that mean? That's a challenge. But it also is an opportunity to develop resiliency and to develop the mentality that no matter what, you should always be proving yourself every day. And it's a cliche, but we all are creatures of comfort to some degree. There's a reason why we don't all live in hotels and change rooms every day, right? We go back to the same home. We usually have stable foods. We don't change our cars all the time. And that's because it removes an element of thought and anxiety and energy that you have to spend during the day when you kind of have things kind of on on autopilot. And when you're fighting for your life every day, quote unquote, fighting for your life, your hockey career, you don't have that. And so you build that mentality of every day is another test and it does build resiliency. Um, but it's a tough way to, to play where every day your contract could be canceled, quote unquote, you can be released or sent down. And um, that's a challenge, but I, you know, I think it, I think it can build character. Um, in Hamilton, I think it was in Hamilton that year. It was Halak in Hamilton that year with you? Yaroslav Halak? Iowans, you have dozens of betting options. Try a sports book built by bettors and run by bettors. Fred Doan started BetFred over 50 years ago with funds from a winning bet, and he's been known for delivering the best betting experience ever since. Visit BetFredSports.com to give us a try. New customers betting $50 get 111 in Fred bets and up to 200 Fred bets per week for five weeks. Terms apply. Proud partner of the Iowa Cubs and Iowa Wild. Must be 21 plus. Wagers only accepted in Iowa. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Hi everyone, I'm Dr. John White, WebMD's Chief Medical Officer and host of the Spotlight On series from WebMD's Health Discovered podcast. For this special two-part episode, you'll hear up-close and personal journeys about being diagnosed with a rare type of cancer, multiple myeloma. He looked at me, I have been his patient for more than 20 years, and he said, this is really strange. You're an African-American, age 57. I've never seen this before. This back pain that you're continually having with no signs of osteoporosis. No signs, exactly. And I didn't have any signs of osteoporosis in my family history. Listen to Health Discovered on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. So... That year, there were quite a few goalies of some <laughs> note. Uh, Yaroslav Halak was there, great goalie, obviously. Yaro, um, 
I was actually in camp um, that year with Yarrow and he he's a very hard worker, a true professional, knows his craft, still playing, obviously. Yanni was there. Jan Dani was there. Uh, at a later point in time, some guy named Kerry Price was there. <laughs> <laughs> There's actually a lot of talent in the net. And then another Hartford, New York Ranger was there. My very good friend and goalie partner, Cedric Desjardins, was there. Okay, yep. And so we had so many good goalies there. But that just tells you how many guys go through the systems. And um, it shows you the log jam for goaltenders, at least in many different organizations. That's a that's a tough uh <laughs> some tough, tough, tough competition. To yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now I can see why you're in Manitoba in a couple weeks later. That's uh that's tough. Um but you did yeah. you had a great year though. You had a good year. Everywhere you went, yeah. you played well. Um and and that turned to an angel contract the next year in Nashville. Uh how special was that signing that angel contract? Uh, it was amazing. I mean, I I every player deserves their NHL contract, but I knew that I had kind of gone gone about it in a bit circuitous route. Mm-hmm. And I had gone through the ringer, quote unquote, um, of minor league hockey. And I had gone through challenging times as it relates to what I just described before, team to team. You don't have someone advocating for you. And I was able to get actually interest from three different teams. I ultimate signed with Nashville, which I thought was the right fit. And, um, you know, I, it, it was it was very, very special. It wasn't my last NHL contract, but it was my first. And um, it was um, it, it was, I'll say, even to some degree validating. Mm-hmm. Right. It's nice to have extra. I believe in myself. All players do. But it's nice to have external validation that. We have a rare commodity. It's an NHL contract. We get 50 of these. We know a lot of them are already tied up. And we're going to use one of our uh, disposable ones, so to speak, right? We can we can use one that we're not already committed to, and we want to spend it on. Of all the guys in the world, we want to give it to you. And so that's something special. Yeah, I mean, especially after that year you had before with all the bouncing around. And like you yeah. said, the resiliency it builds, it kind of, like you said, it gives you, you know, uh, I had to be that much special to have that contract come out right after that year, just showing you, you know, all your hard work paid off and everything. Um, but then you get there and you go play in Milwaukee. And there's another guy in Milwaukee named Pika Rene, uh, who's <laughs> in net with you, who goes on to become the greatest goaltender in uh, Preds history. Uh, so again, the competition didn't, <laughs> didn't go away. Yeah. Well, as I mentioned before, I can't underscore this enough. Like really there is a lot of luck involved. So for example, you know, you go to a different organization that has not quite as strong of a bench. The depth is not quite there and you will fluctuate up and down much more quickly. And everyone's good, right? All the goalies in the American league are good. All the goalies in the NHL are good. And so what it means is that it's a supply and demand issue. The supply of talented goaltenders are high. The demand is very low, 60 spots. That's it. Well, I guess now 64, but you get the idea. Mm -hmm. And so you get there, a lot of guys in the American League, number ones in the American League, younger guys, middle-aged guys, whatever, middle-aged in terms of their hockey career, <clears throat> they can get called up tomorrow playing the NHL. You would see no difference. There are elite goaltenders in the NHL, by all means. Of course, New York has one of them. They've had the, the I mean, phenomenal pleasure to have just two phenomenal, great goaltenders kind of back-to-back. And, um over a 20 year period, but 
there are phenomenal goaltenders in the American League. They can stop and have a play right away. Um, and so really sometimes you choose one or the other. That year uh, when I was selecting which team to go to, um, Pekka was actually slated to go into the NHL that year. Um, but that summer, uh, he ended up having shoulder surgery after a fall, and he was delayed in kind of getting himself back up to speed. And um, Thomas Wilkoon had been had just left. I think he'd been traded. And they had uh, Chris Mason as the number one, and the number two was open. It was going to be Pekka, and they also they signed myself and Dan Ellis. And so the plan was to have Dan and myself in the minors. Dan was a friend of mine. We trained together in Boston. He's a really nice guy, played college hockey at UNO. And Pekka was going to be up, younger guy. Mace was the older guy. He was going to be the number one, and they were going to, Pekka was hopefully going to push. But because of that dynamic, Danny Ellis actually had just a great camp, and he ended up making the team. And they said, okay, well, we'll send Pekka down. He can clear waivers because he's still on an entry level deal, and he'll go down. And so I go down, and it's me and Pekka. And I'm like, there's this monster from Finland in the net and I can't see any net and he plays the puck and he's just the nicest guy you'll ever meet. And he's hardworking and a competitor and a gentleman. And it was a pleasure to play with him, but gosh, you weren't going to take any time from him. And uh, it's funny because I had a buddy who I lived with, James Sixsmith, phenomenal player, he's a smaller guy, played a lot in the American League in Europe, went to Holy Cross with the captain of the team there. And he and I would just, would just chat. And I remember telling him like, honestly, I don't think Pekka's just going to play in the NHL. I think this guy's going to be an all-star in the NHL. And Sixer says, yeah, when I score on him, I pick that puck up and I take it home with me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, you you hit it on, you hit it right on the head. I mean, all-star could be a hall. I mean, I think he might be a hall of famer. He'll be in the hall of famer. Yeah. 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 Um, no, yeah, it had to be a uh, yeah. That's a tough name to see again on the depth chart when you get there. Well, I guess you didn't know at the time, but you saw it very quickly. Um, the organization was very excited about him, and everyone you could see it how good he was. In fact, small story, and I hope I'm not stealing his thunder, but I don't think you'll have him on. He actually was drafted um, from the National Predators based on the the scout. And I believe it was either Paul Fenton or David Poyle who went out to watch the game. And um, Pekka didn't play that game. He only took the warm-ups. But they had had a body work on him, and they watched him. Like, God, this guy's unbelievable. And they drafted him late um, because his goalie partner in Carpot was Nicholas Backstrom, who went on to have a phenomenal career with the Minnesota Wild. He's just a great goalie. And so they kind of rolled from – Nicholas Backstrom into Pecorine into Tim Thomas. <laughs> and so there's this factory of goaltenders, but Pekka was the young kid. He was the number two and he only played like seven games that year, but his talent was so obvious. He was such a hard worker, such a competitor that even, like I said before, when he was down in the minors, he wasn't known to anyone other than Nashville's program. When he and I were playing together, everyone saw how good he was. So just based off his warm up. That's how he got drafted. That's incredible. Well, yeah, there yeah, was, I mean, you know, obviously that research the before that, but yeah, 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 yeah. But I believe that the, I think, I think it was Paul, but it might have been, um, it might have been David Poyle who had gone out, and that was the only time they ever laid eyes on him. They're like, yeah, we'll take him. That's awesome. <laughs> it's like the Poyle walks in, leaves before the game starts. Like, yeah, nah, I see enough. I'm good. 
going home. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> uh, so after that year with Nashville, you go, you jump overseas for the first time uh, to Austria. You end up playing a year in Austria and a year in Slovenia. Um, so what kind of went to that decision to jump overseas? Yeah, so there's kind of two, I would say two things driving it. One was personal and one was professional. So from a personal perspective, I knew since I found out about European hockey that I wanted to play in Europe at some point. <clears throat> so that was always a goal of mine. I just thought it was so cool. I, I loved my experience in Europe. I loved living there. Quality life is fantastic. Playing there is great. The fans are great. They really have a passion for, for sports. It's like going to a soccer game, but indoors. They got the flares and the drums and <laughs> the scarves and the chants. Um, I always got a kick out of the fact that there's this giant sign on the wall that says in German, Rauchen verboten, uh, smoking is uh, forbidden. And you just see a cloud of smoke <laughs> hanging over that sign, <laughs> which is unique. Um, but uh, it was a great experience and I always knew I wanted to do it. And that kind of touches on, so you have the motivation there, the personal motivation. And then from a professional perspective, I had just done three years, as you mentioned, and I'd kind of climbed my way out of, you know, the lower part of hockey to, you know, on the cost by a couple of times that I was actually supposed to go up to Nashville that year. Actually, one time there was a flight issue, believe it or not. Um, Wait, hold on. So you got, you got called up? No, I was supposed to. And um, just these series of events at different times happened actually throughout my career. That's happened a couple of times in Florida. I was going to go up and <laughs> they didn't have the contracts. And then another time they called up when I was at a, a different stop, they didn't call me up. They called the guy up who hadn't been playing. <laughs> that doesn't matter, but this happens. I know it's to, to the listeners. It sounds funny, but you know, if you're the assistant GM or the GM in the NHL, you don't actually know every single detail of what's going on underneath and You're, you have to rely on, you know, like someone to make a snap judgment because you got to get paperwork into the league. So someone's eligible to play and things get dropped through. But anyways, back to the Europe thing, what ends up happening is, um, I kind of go through this process and I just got stuck again, right behind Pekka. And it's tough because then I'm at that inflection point, 25 years old. And you're like, ah, eh, I got to play games. I haven't played enough games because you got to develop your craft as a goaltender. You can't go to the NHL. You can't play pro hockey and be an expert if you're not playing. It's a little different. A little different for defensemen and forwards because you can sneak some time in, right? Mm -hmm. You can get a guy a couple minutes here, a couple minutes there. But a goaltender, it's very uh, zero sum. You're either playing or you're not. And so I just felt the best thing for my career is I need to play games. I need to develop my craft. I need to get starts. And that's one of the reasons why I got a lot better in college because I played every game. Now, smaller amount of games, but I played all the games and that added up 120 games, I think over four years. So <clears throat> it's pretty good for the Ivy league. And um, I needed to play. And in Europe, one guy plays most of the games, right? He plays almost every game, a couple games you get off, but you play 50 something games and you're just going to, you're going to play 40 of them or whatever the case may be. So um, kind of those two things um, drove me to Europe and, those experiences are just phenomenal, both at a personal and a professional level. There were challenges in Europe. Um, things like training routines and regimens are different there that you have to adapt to. You know, you grow up in the North American system and it's the best system in your mind because it's the system that you know. The NHL uses that system. So you think that's the best system because that's the best league in the world. And then you go to a different place and they say, hey, we have a different way of doing things. We think you should be training more. We think you shouldn't be eating these foods. We think you should be eating these foods. Um, 
we don't travel the day before the game or sometimes we do. Um, and it's just different. Everything is different. Um, so there are some real challenges, but I, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't trade those experiences for anything. They were just fantastic. And after those two years, you came back to North America, you end up in the Rangers organization. Yeah. Um, and you, you go to Greenville, which was the East coast affiliate for the Rangers then. And you just turned it on unreal down there. Uh, you were the ECHL goaltender of the month in December for them. Uh, you were a second team all-star in the, in the coast that year. And you earn a call up to Hartford. Uh, and then, Again, kept up in Hartford. A great season there with Hartford. You teamed up with Cam Talbot, who you know has gone on to be a great goal in the NHL. Uh, so I guess just talk me through that year in Hartford and and uh, you know playing for the Rangers. So that year was interesting. I came back, and my motivation, to be perfectly frank, was I loved my time in Europe, and I was offered an extension on my team. We had a great year. We won the championship that year. Um, but I realized in my time away that I wanted to compete for a spot in the NHL. And that's what I truly wanted. Um, not that I didn't appreciate and love what I had done in Europe because it was also what I wanted, but you know, our goals shift over time. And I wanted to come back and give it another shot. So I was able, um, so Gordy Clark, who was a longtime New York Ranger scout, mm-hmm. player development guy, he had scouted me in college and um he actually was a big fan of mine at the time. I, mean, I don't know if he remembers who I am. It doesn't matter. But contemporaneously, he actually wanted to sign me coming out of college. Um, so that was 05. But there were these two guys named uh, Al Montoya and Henrik Longfist, who were New York Ranger draft picks and property who were coming out. And they're like, oh, gosh, we just don't have the contracts. <laughs> now, looking back, it's probably a good decision. <laughs> but the point is, is that I had some touch points with New York prior to that. And, um, and so I, uh, I started the year in Greenville, um, just actually, well, I started the year, I guess, in Hartford and I had a really good camp and, um, I went down just for the camp in Greenville for two weeks for the training camp. And then I came right back up to Hartford because Talbs, um, actually hurt his, uh, groin, if I recall correctly at the time. And, um, so he was out for a number of weeks. And actually, um, in addition, Chad Johnson was on the team as well. Yeah, former former guest, a good guy. Yeah, really nice guy. I really enjoyed um, – He was uh, both those guys were my roommates on the road at different times because all three of us were there. And um, it went really well. But, again, you kind of get to the point where you got you can't have three goalies on the team. Um, and Talbs was a rookie who was on an NHL contract. Johnny – was in the second year, he'd come up with a very successful first year, both in Hartford, and he got a, a, a cup of coffee in the NHL, but was very good, very, very good. And so, you know, there's three guys. Well, guess who's the other man out? <laughs> Me, um, which was fine. The other guys are really good goalies and good friends of mine. And so I went back down for, I think, about two months or so. Uh, I want to say it's like November, December, and then maybe a week or a couple weeks into January, something like that. And we had a really, really good team, actually, in Greenville. Um, so we had a number of players who went on, um, Chris, uh, McKelvey, who is a, a longtime Hartford player as well. And a, a number of other guys, uh, actually, um, a guy who started on these coast league and went on and ended up playing in Washington, Julian Brule, who played in the NHL for a while. He was on the team just as a guy who we signed. <laughs> um, so we had a very good team. And again, like I keep saying it, but it is true. A goaltender oftentimes is a reflection of the quality of his team in terms to establish consistency throughout the year. So he had a good team and it went really well. And then 
Um, Talbs got hurt again. Uh, and they called me up and I did well. And Shoney was the GM and um, Jim Schoenfeld and uh, Kenny Jernander was the head coach at the time. And um, they had a lot of trust in me and they said, okay, we're going to sign you for, you know, we want to sign you to a deal and we want you here for the rest of the year. And so I was there and um, ended up uh, taking over the number one spot. Actually, and I was a, I was a goalie in playoffs as mm -hmm. well. And it was just a very special year. Um, uh, Wade Redden, that was the year that he got sent down. And um, I don't know how many of you know, your listeners um, know Wade or know anything about him. I don't know if you've had him on the show, but he is the, um, he is the definition of a professional and a gentleman. So this is a guy who was sent down. Everyone knows the story, making a lot of money. And he was uh, persona non grata in New York after his first or second year. Mm -hmm. He came down and every day showed up with work ethic, with a smile on his face, did all the things that he was asked to do. He stayed on the ice extra after practice. He would come on the ice extra before practice to work with me and to be my shooter for like my goalie practices. And um, so he just, he was a great leader in the locker room and he never talked about his personal situation getting sent down and he could have easily sat in the corner and pouted and stomped his feet. He did not do that. And I think it just really set the tone. We had a very good team that year. Um, with a lot of very talented players. And um, it was great. Honestly, it was a very special year. And I, I it really gave me a lot of confidence in being able to prove that, yes, like I've had success in other places in the American League, but like I can still do it and I can do it again and I can do it here and I can do it with good competition. I mean, there's two other NHL goalies, you know, on that team. And um, that's a challenge um, in and of itself because you're fighting for, for ice time. And um, there's a lot of reasoning to give the ice time to slightly younger guys, or quite frankly, more talented, you know, Cam and Johnny were, are, are, are in my assessment, more talented than not, I ever was. Um, but at the time I was playing well and um, the coaches and the, the GM believed in me. And so I was able to play and I'm forever, you know, appreciative and thankful for that. Yeah. Uh, that was Matt Zuccarello. That was his, I think it was his first year in North America Zooks. too, right? Zooks was there. Yeah. <laughs> He's so good. <laughs> uh, he was such a little, he had such a, like a mischievous way about him. Um, <clears throat> I actually ended up going on in the future. We can get to it later. I'm um, playing in Norway and he's just a legend. Zooks was a legend in Norway. <laughs> and then uh, another one of your former teammates, Devin Didiamidi, good friend of the show. Uh, yes. He told me that you are the uh, crossword champion and he's never seen someone knock on a crossword faster <laughs> than you can. Well, uh, Dids, I'll, I'll let you in on the secret now. I, I knew it all before, and I just filled it in <laughs> when you were looking. Um, no, i just kidding. Actually, uh, Jared Nightingale was on, on the team, um, and he was a big crossword guy, too. So we'd do the puzzle in the mornings. And um, there's always one or two guys on the team who are puzzlers, and uh, uh, we'd get on there. And um, it's just a good way to start, especially at the rink a long time. I, got, I was always an early guy to the rink and uh, hang around later, too, and – uh, this is before I had kids and stuff like that, but um, uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. You can sit there, do the crossword, put it down, come back to it. Um, I wasn't in school, right? Um, and so there's enough downtime to kind of, kind of play. But uh, yeah, it's uh, there's always a couple guys who do it. Now, there are a lot of better. Uh, Tyson Strachan, a longtime NHLer, I played with him for a number number of years, and good friend of mine. He's he's the best. He just if he can do one thing, it's he can do a puzzle. You knock Whirl out every day down too. 
<laughs> no, you know what? I don't do it. Oh. I should. I can't believe it. I think I've missed the train. I'm uh, behind the curve. Um, <laughs> um, how come you didn't resign there? If that you went over to Norway after that year, was that something you want to go back overseas, or why? Why didn't you stay with the Rangers? Um, so they offered me a deal, but there were so many guys there. Um, so, so there was Hank, who is amazing. Mm-hmm. and uh, at that time, he was amazing, right? So this wasn't like he's up and coming. I mean, he was just a star. And then Valley was the number two, Stephen Valaket. Mm-hmm. And then Johnny was there, and Talbs was there. And then they had another goalie coming out, uh, Missian. Iowans, you have dozens of betting options. Try a sports book built by bettors and run by bettors. Fred Doan started BetFred over 50 years ago with funds from a winning bet, and he's been known for delivering the best betting experience ever since. Visit BetFredSports.com to give us a try. New customers betting $50 get 111 in Fred bets and up to 200 Fred bets per week for five weeks. Terms apply. Proud partner of the Iowa Cubs and Iowa Wild. Must be 21 plus. Wagers only accepted in Iowa. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-BETS-OFF. And there's just, there was no room. And I knew that. And that's the problem is you become, you know, you, you, you become homeless. So at that point I was a little older. I think I was like 27 or something like that. And um, you're a guy who's not a rookie. You're not super young. And at 27, I hadn't established myself in the NHL. And so you just, there's no room for you. And um, I didn't get, uh, I didn't get an NHL offer at that uh, in, uh, for, from other teams. And at that time I knew that I can play in the American league. I can sign a contract. That's not the issue. Um, but the problem is, is that if you're going to play in the NHL, you need to be on a depth chart, you need to be an NHL contracted player and you need to be three or four, right? Because mm-hmm. they can oscillate back and forth. Injuries change it all the time. It's less important whether you're three or four, obviously you always want to be three, but whatever. And I made the decision, which was tough, that um, if it was strategic at the time, if I don't have an NHL contract, I will not sign, period, end of story. Nashville invited me to come back to camp, but not on a contract. I was like, I'm not doing that. Um, and I waited. And so in the interim, I went back to, to, to Norway, my old captain from Austria. He's a great, great defenseman. He's a Norwegian legend. And I say that in, in the sense that he was the first Norwegian hockey player to play professionally outside of Norway. Uh, his name is Tommy Jakobsen. Uh, Jacobson is written Jacobson, but Jakobsen. And Tommy's just a great person, super nice guy, great leader, great player. And just to underscore how much of a legend he is in Norway, not just in the hockey community, he carried the Norwegian flag in the opening ceremonies of the 2010 Olympics in Vancouver. So he was the seminal athlete for the entire country. And I think that's something pretty special. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. So he called me up and it was, you know, September, late September, just kind of at the end of NHL season, uh, preseason, right. As the um, NHL season is about to open up and I still hadn't signed. It's like Dover, what's going on? What are you doing? I said, I'm waiting, you know, there's something hopefully going to open up and that's the waiting game. A lot of guys go through. And he said, listen, we need a goalie. Um, we've got a young guy, but you know, he's not ready. He's a Swedish kid. And why don't you come over and play while you're waiting? And I was like, yeah, why not? Um, it's a great way to play, stay active. Cause once that season starts, everyone's off and running and you are still stuck at the starting line from a, 
from a kind of a feel touch kind of groove perspective. And you can't fall that far behind. You can't a goalie, or at least I couldn't jump into the season in the middle of December. I wasn't good enough. I never, I never was. So I know I needed to play, but where, and so this uh, afforded me the opportunity to go over, but I had an out in my contract so that um, while I was playing, I was there, but if I got an offer back in the NHL, I could take that offer and leave. And so these are just little nuances of the contracts with Europe and stuff like that. They understood they had no problem. Mm-hmm. I loved it in Norway. It was a great organization, great city. I lived in Oslo, wonderful city, um, wonderful experience. The team was really good. I got there, um, maybe a middling team. Um, and I think the second day I got there or the second game I played, they fired the coach. Now, obviously it wasn't because of me, or at least I tell myself that there's a long train of disappointment <clears throat> And they brought in a new coach who was a North American guy uh, from Boston, uh, Livingston, Mike Livingston, and or Dave, sorry. And um, he brought a little bit of a North American approach to the game, which I think just gives us a little bit of an edge, right? Because we're doing something different than the other coaches and the other teams. And we just took off and we were great. And um, I had a great experience. I loved the guys on the team. We had a very close team and I got an opportunity to come back. And that was where I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. So um, I ended up leaving Norway in November. So I was only there for two months, whatever the exact precise amount was. And I went back and I signed with Florida and I went back and I went directly to San Antonio where I was. <laughs> and my goalie partner there was Jacob Markstrom. I was going to say, <laughs> didn't get much better when you get to San Antonio. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so Marky was a young guy, he's a second year pro. and just an awesome guy. He and I had such a laugh. Um, very good friend of mine. I still, um, I still stay in touch with him today. I try to go to see him play when I can, obviously COVID kind of threw everything off, but we're, we're out of that now. Uh, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's a little difficult. Um, I'm on the East coast. He's on the West coast. So like, it's, it's a little more, more difficult than it used to be. But having said that, um, he was there he was a really good goalie. I had, I, I mean, we, we both played well. We had a great team, the San Antonio team, had some really talented players um, and uh, it was a wonderful experience. And he and I are still close to this day and he would make a joke. He, um, he, uh, Marky would say, uh, we have the, what did he say? We have this, we have the the smartest goaltending duo in the league <laughs> because he, he was English was a second language. And so it wasn't quite as natural, but it was just uh he was kind of being a little bit of self-deprecating humor there, um, but he he was fantastic, and we had a, we had a ton of fun. We really did. Um, and another guy there, Vincent Trocek, was there while you were there. Um, yeah, true. His rookie year. Uh, now you know, I'm playing for the Rangers, playing a huge role for the Rangers now. Uh, so you got to see him at a young age. Yeah, so he was a rookie, and he came in. He had scored a ton of goals in the OHL, but he's undersized, and so there are people. Um, not in the organization, but there were people in general who doubted, I don't know if it'll carry over. It's very difficult to be a goal scorer at any level, but in particular to go from juniors to pro as an undersized guy. And he came in and he just had piss and vinegar and he would not back down. And he worked so hard. He was such a competitor and he was so successful. And I was so pleased to see all the success that he's had over the years. And um, just a, just a super nice guy. Um, he's a special player. Um, and I think he, he more than, um, a lot of guys really exemplifies that, uh, tenacious grit that is required to make it and stay in the NHL in pro hockey in general. 
And you see that in a guy who's not, you know, a typical big player with, you know, dominating presence physically. Um, and that just speaks volumes about his capabilities. And then, uh, so you end up back in Hartford. Uh, they're yeah. going to trade back for you. And you get back there, and again, you have a great season with them. Um, so about Ben Waller and his impact on the Rangers. Yeah. How did you work with him? So Benny was there my first stint with Hartford and also my second stint. I loved Benny. Such a positive attitude. I actually worked with his brother, Francois. So Frankie was the goalie coach in Anaheim the year that Anaheim won the Cup in 07. And so I was in Portland for quite a few months, and he would come down and work with us. And Frankie had a very different way about him. He was like very matter of fact to the point. He had a very specific type of system, excellent coach. Um, I learned so much from, from Frankie and Benoit. Benny is just totally different in his mentality. Um, similar approach, but not the same style. And I loved um, working with Benny because he always came prepared. He came prepared to the video sessions with the clips ready to show me. And he knew exactly what he wanted to show me and why. He's so efficient with his time. And he was really, really helpful on the ice because he was always ready to show me ways to modify ever so slightly the way I played to get a little closer to the way I needed to play. And one of the things he told me, he said, Dover, if you can do these things, you can play in the NHL. If you can do these things, you have taken your game to another level. So there are tangible uh, um, ways of improvement that are very difficult to come by at the pro level. That might sound funny, but you know, do better, try harder, score more, hit more, be faster, stop more pucks. Those are the platitudes that you get. And those are the platitudes that you tell yourself. But how do you do that? <laughs> how do you gain that 1% increase in your capacity? Right? Think of a think of a race car driver, think of a um, a cyclist. They're looking for just that one little small thing that they can kind of take away and discard so they can get a little more streamlined a little faster and the same mentality has to be has to play as you get to the most elite levels because that pyramid at the top is so narrow and so hard to get into that you really need someone else's outside perspective to help you see those things and Benny always had that and he was always willing to talk on the phone to come down and watch us play to work with us to spend a week on the ice whatever the case would may be and I was always very appreciative of that. And he was just, he was awesome. And I, I was so lucky over the years to have so many great and um, influential goalie coaches. And I always took something away from every single one of them that I kept in my game. And I have a little book that I kept at the time of all the drills that I got over the years. I have this little pro goalie <laughs> notebook. And I would write down the things that they would tell me and I mean, I had my first goalie coach was Grant Fuhrer. <laughs> Pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> and funny story, if you've got a second, um, my first camp was Arizona Phoenix mm -hmm. and I signed with them and um, the, <laughs> the head coach was Wayne Gretzky. It was his first year. And so I was on the ice with him a couple of times and that was pretty cool. Obviously he doesn't know who I am and he, will never remember me and that doesn't matter that's not the point of the story but it was cool for me I was 22 years old first pro 
camp and my goalie coach was Grant Gear and like, you know, he was great. So anyways, for after the first week or I forget whatever it is, you know, they send all the young guys down. And um, so Piersey came in and he's like, I want to talk to you a little bit. He's like, I thought you did this well. I thought you improved here. I think you need to improve here. Here are some of the things I think you need to work on. It was great. It was wonderful. He had such an easy way about him. And he's like, hey, uh, Wayne wanted to talk to you um, before you leave. Why don't we go see him? I'm like, okay. I had never really said anything to him. So he called into his office and he's Wayne's behind the desk and fears. He goes, uh, Hey Wayne, like Dover's here. Um, so I walk in and Gretzky stands up from behind his desk. He's just got it. Like, he's just a very nice man and he's got a very affable look about him and he stands up. He puts his hand out to shake my hand. He goes, thanks for helping us out this week. <laughs> Like I was like some guy off the street, you know, who just like was filling in. I I just died laughing. And Furious is like, I thought he was going to say more. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, well, I mean, whatever, right? Like, yeah. so I can say my first coach was Wayne Gretzky. My first goalie coach was Grant Fuhrer. And it was all downhill from there. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but um, yeah, like I had Grant Fuhrer and, uh, and Frankie Francois Lair. Um I had Roly Melanson in Montreal and um, uh, um, uh, I had Mitch Korn and um, Rick St. Croix, Rick St. Croix from Winnipeg, who later became the goalie coach in um, Toronto, Robbie Tallis down in Florida, still there. Um, so really, I, I mean, and then Benny in New York, like is amazing. And those guys are just so thoughtful about coaching and about their players. And it's a unique relationship between the goalie and the goalie coach, that position. That's, it's almost like a QB coach, mm-hmm. right? Because the forwards, there's 14, 15, 20, 25 forwards in an organization, the D there's eight, maybe seven in the NHL. And then there's another eight to 10 in the minors. Right. <clears throat> so the D coach kind of knows, but he's got a lot of guys and the goalie coach is just, he's there with you. It's one-on-one, one-on-two. And it's pretty, it's pretty special. Um, I gotta ask you, you got no goalie fight with Al Montoya, another, you know, Ranger, Ranger <laughs> draft pick. Uh, I guess, uh, tell me about that experience. I know you yeah, and Al so are this, friends, right? You are, you knew, knew each he, other. Yeah. Yeah. So Al's a super nice guy. He grew up in Chicago. Uh, uh, we both grew up together. We played in the same organization, Chicago Young Americans. He's a few years younger than me, but, um, he was a great goalie even at a young age. And, um, his, Mom and dad are both physicians and my father's a physician. They actually worked together. So I knew him since, you know, since way back when. And Al was with Hartford at the time. I was with Portland with Anaheim's team. Kevin Deneen um, was the coach at the time and later was my coach in Florida. And um, so we were playing. Um, We were actually short. We were down. um, We had like an emergency backup goalie and I was playing. I was the number one. And um, I was playing the game. We were playing Hartford. They, Hartford had a penalty at the time. And uh, this was the 06-07 season. So it was five on four. And there was a scrum at the net, at Al's net. He was playing. So Monty was in the net. And uh, <laughs> melee ensues. And because it's five on four, Al drops his stuff. Monty drops his stuff. And he got, jumps in the fight. Now, 
listeners, the rule is, is if the other goalie gets involved, then you as the goalie on the other end, you have to come down. Okay? That's the rule. <laughs> That's the rule. The unspoken rule. And so anyway, the problem is, is that we had an emergency backup goalie who had been retired for like three years. And if I go down there, I can get thrown out of the game. Usually you don't, but it can happen. And so I hesitated and I looked at the bench and Kevin Deneen is standing there staring at what's going on at the far end. And I, I look up and I see him and then he turns and he looks at me and he takes his hand and he puts it out and he waves it forward as if like, you may enter. And he waves <laughs> it forward. He's like, go for it, buddy. And so I sprinted down and dropped my gloves and dropped my helmet and Al and I fought and I don't have it on tape. I don't know if there's a YouTube of it and uh, I don't know what the hell I'm doing out there. I'm just throwing and he's throwing and I take a few and he takes a few or whatever. And I think that the refs didn't want to throw both goalies out. So they threw neither of us out and other guys had to serve our, our penalty. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. All right, I got one more question before I let you go. Uh, yeah. Favorite favorite memory to look back on? Wow. O- other than the goalie brawl. Other than the goalie brawl. Um, hmm. You know, I, I would actually honestly say, like, throughout my entire career, um, it was my, my time in college was pretty special. Um, I remember the day that I got uh, my admissions letter and I knew that I got in. That That was really that was really special. Um, and the, the first championship we won in college, that was very special. Um, I, I'd say those two in particular, um, and maybe, you know, I, I would also say my first win in the American league was pretty cool. Um, it was with, it was with, um, Portland and I really, um, I really enjoyed my time there. Um, I, I really liked Kevin Deneen. I think he's just a player's coach. And I remember he told me that he's like, I, I don't care what your contract status is. If you're the better goalie, you're just going to play. I don't, I don't care. And I appreciated the, the, the meritocracy that he, he built there. And, um, it was a very special team. We actually, I, gosh, I want to say we had like 10 guys who went on to have careers in the NHL and they were all like young at the time. Um, so it was just a, a fantastic team, but, you know, maybe my win there. Maybe it's because of that connectivity that I had with those players and then with that coach and, and that organization. And Anaheim was great to me. Um, that that kind of cemented in my mind. But yeah, I, I'd go with those. That's awesome. Well, Dolph, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, it was a pleasure getting to know you. And, uh, and hopefully maybe we'll get you back on again soon and tell some more stories. <laughs> no problem. It was my pleasure. And thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much for Dove for joining us this week. Uh, that was great to get to know him. Awesome stories. Gotta love a hockey fight story, uh, a goalie fight story. Um, and it was, yeah, cool to hear about his time there in Hartford. And uh, a guy who just grinded it out. Unbelievable college career. Wasn't handed anything. And, uh, you know, turned out a great career for himself. And uh, it was cool to hear about that, you know, especially that 2006-2007 season he had. Four different teams. You know, three teams were alone just bouncing around, playing as as well as he could, and he earned an angel contract out of it. So just to go to show anyone who's listening to the show, especially any younger guys who play hockey, you never give up on your dream. He did, and, and he ended up having a great career in the American Hockey League and uh, won some championships not only here but overseas as well. So uh, it's a great, you know, it's a great story for anyone to listen to. And 
like I said, an absolute Harvard legend, Harvard Hall of Famer, uh, on top of an excellent education here and there. He's one of the best players of all time in that um, in that school's history. So very cool to have him on the show. I can't thank him enough for taking the time to come on and join us. And that does it for episode 110 of the Broadway Hat Podcast. And we are celebrating our two-year anniversary. Uh, I guess this week and next week is really kind of when it happened. So thank you to all of our listeners. 210 shows so far. Uh, I think we're at 164 total reviews on Apple Podcasts. So make sure you go on there and leave us a review and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. And every five-star review we do receive now, now until Christmas, special for the holiday season, we're donating $3 to Alex's Lemonade Foundation. So please take one moment out of your day. Go on there. It literally takes 10 seconds of the day. Leave us a five-star review. And like I said, $3 will be donated to Alex Lemonade Foundation, helping fight pediatric cancer, an amazing foundation. So thank you to all the people who have supported us there. Make sure you can go find the show on Spotify and subscribe. Leave us a five-star review there as well. You can find the show on Google Play, Pandora, Spreaker, uh, Amazon Music. Anywhere you get your podcast, you can find us there. Make sure you're following the show on all social media. Uh, we actually just uh, were redoing our YouTube page. So we started posting more and more show clips there. We'll be posting um, full episodes as we get around to that. Uh, it's a very time-consuming thing to post a full episode. So uh, we're slowly working in some full episodes on there. But I'm also working on a project that will be a YouTube-exclusive uh, Rangers project, which I'm very excited to roll out. I believe it's going to roll out this week, so make sure you go and find the it's, it's at Broadway at the Broadway Hat Podcast on YouTube, or just search Broadway Hat Podcast on YouTube, and subscribe to the show there. Uh, very excited to roll out this new content for everybody and keep the Rangers content going um, and build up our YouTube page there. Very excited for that. Make sure you go and follow the show on Twitter at Broadway Hat Pod. Find my personal Twitter account at KHallNY. Also find the show on Instagram and Facebook at the Broadway Hat Podcast. And thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. Iowans, you have dozens of betting options. Try a sports book built by bettors and run by bettors. Fred Doan started BetFred over 50 years ago with funds from a winning bet, and he's been known for delivering the best betting experience ever since. Visit BetFredSports.com to give us a try. New customers betting $50 get 111 in Fred bets and up to 200 Fred bets per week for five weeks. Terms apply. Proud partner of the Iowa Cubs and Iowa Wild. Must be 21 plus. Wagers only accepted in Iowa. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-BETS-OFF.